Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. Today on the show, we have Cyrus Kirkpatrick, who comes highly recommended from several listeners. So thank you for recommending Cyrus. Cyrus is the author of Understanding Life After Death and numerous books about travel, lifestyle, and business. He began an interest in parapsychology and the supernatural at the age of 13. He went on and is a graduate of the University of Arizona. But besides exploring parallel dimensions, Cyrus runs a travel blog. He's been featured on BBC Radio and various local affiliates for his work in North Korea. His personal website is cyruskirkpatrick.com, and his afterlife-related work can be found at afterlifetopics.com. And if you're a Facebook user like I am, he runs a, runs a large and a wonderful uh, discussion group, a Facebook group called Afterlife Topics. So it is my pleasure to say, Cyrus Kirkpatrick, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Hey, Sandra, it's great to be here. Hey, great to have you. Um, I, yeah, I'm thrilled, absolutely thrilled. You come highly recommended and no pressure. You know, but just share share what you love because I know you've got a big following and um, and people want to hear your words. Well, I'll see what I can do. Yeah. Well, let's first talk a little bit about you. You're coming to us from California, I believe. Is that correct? That's correct. Here in uh, Culver City, to be exact. Yeah. And um, I'd love to know just a bit about your past because uh, doing my research on you to see the travels you've done. And going to North Korea, how did you get interested in all of that before we get into the life after death stuff? North Korea thing was almost like a whim. I Well, I had a long-standing interest in the country. And I don't know, maybe just like the unusual appeals to me. You know, the idea of going places nobody else goes to. And this may even relate to the afterlife work a little bit, Mm -hmm. which is delving into unknown territory. Maybe there's part of me that's a little bit of an explorer somewhere. And, you know, most things have already been explored or found. So you have to look in new places, I suppose. Right. And that motivated me to also look into North Korea. So I went there two times in 2012 and 2013 and then i outfitted my website to be a bit of a north korea travel blog to showcase photos of the country and people and in some ways attempt to dispel myths about north korean citizens which are commonly considered to be off limits right like you can't talk to them you can't meet them you can't hang out with them and one of my goals was to go there and show that you can in fact do all those things and it was uh, very exciting because I know the first time we went, we were uh, mentioned by CNN as well as a bunch of like radio shows, and uh, Wired Magazine and uh, those types of media outlets. And I think partially because I went with a buddy of mine who has a uh, popular podcast called The Art of Charm. And so he had a lot of media hookups and connections. And so we got our trip a bit publicized. And that was really cool. And so we decided to go back a a second time and do more photography and just showcase the people more. And that was very successful. And it complements the other types of traveling that I do, which is that about every couple of years, I will grab a backpack and go explore Central Europe or Asia or different places. And uh, it's part of my lifestyle, I suppose. What gave you the travel bug? Do you know? 
Mm, parents or just <laughs> yeah i mean my my parents back when i first began traveling a lot maybe like 10 years ago they were not supportive they did not think i should run off they felt like the world is very dangerous and you're best yeah. off just staying in one place but i feel like it's valuable to make the most of your time while you have it in this world because you you know i mean you never know when you will be crossing over to the next world and the next world has opportunities as well but we don't want to waste the time we have and if you have an ambition or a bucket list you know i always say make the bucket list into your to-do list and try to get that stuff done as uh, soon as you can because you may not have another opportunity to do it. Mm, I usually close uh, some speaking engagements with live full out and get your money's worth out of life. And uh, like, that's what you're doing and you're going for it. And, you know, with all your travels, you know, first thing that comes up to me is fear. Like, oh my God, you don't speak the language. How do you do it? And, and to get that as human beings, fear is so prevalent and man, I, I can't even imagine your sense of accomplishment by just going for it. I suppose it also keeps me empowered and interested in the life I'm leading. If I don't feel like I'm moving towards something or accomplishing something or working on a bigger goal, then I feel like I'm stagnating. And mm. sometimes like I'm not the type of person who get depressed very often, but I feel like if I began uh, stagnating for a long period of time, I would become depressed because I wouldn't be leading my full potential, I suppose. And so I keep doing things that interest me and uh, writing is a big part of that as well and so is meeting people exploring and discovering you know everything life has to offer and i'll i suppose keep doing that and who knows where where it will lead me in the future but it's worked out so far well you have good stuff i have your your book understanding life after death and i was on amazon and i saw oh my god this guy's got tons of books on other things and so i really applaud you for not only um contributing to people in so many different ways but being an inspiration as to what kind of life is possible and even always working on a bigger goal man that sounds like some great advice um always having something bigger on the on the screen to to live into but don't get me wrong i'm not really a type a personality even though it looks like it because i have all this stuff on the internet i spend you know a lot of days each week kind of relaxing and not stressing so much because i feel like that's kind of a healthy lifestyle to not constantly be on the go right you know you want to give yourself a lot of um space and so i do that as well but then i'll get into the flow of things and i'll have new books out and and whatnot and um so yeah some people think oh i must be always working creating new books and websites and this and that but in, in reality like a lot of days i'm in my pajamas and i'm watching game of thrones or something yeah so, you know. <laughs> You're fun. Well, let's talk a little bit about the afterlife. What led you into exploring and then ultimately writing your book and creating this awesome Facebook group? Well, um, I suppose, uh, as you mentioned in the introduction, I got interested when I was a teenager, um, adolescent, really. And I'm not so sure why. I mean, at, at a certain point, in my life, even though I was like 13 or 14, I began asking big questions. And I grew up on a ranch, and I think I had a lot more free time than most kids did. Maybe that's why I began asking all of these deep questions about life and existence that most kids don't really care about. Or maybe just because it's hardwired into me and I was supposed to ask those questions. I don't know. But 
at one point, I didn't exactly believe in any of these topics, and I was attempting to wrestle with ideas of non-existence, that when we die, it's just lights out. Right. And this is what most people in the materialist culture in this uh, society believe. And I was you know, swept up by that a bit, and I found it something that I just couldn't I couldn't deal with it like didn't make sense to me even from a uh, philosophical point of view like what is non-existence how long does something not exist until it exists again mm -hmm. and so being exposed to all these ideas in uh, pop culture that you know death is a eternal sleep you know it just like kind of drove me mad I'm only like 14 years old but I think it would um, drive anybody crazy who actually stops to think about it so I really began trying to understand from a rational point of view well is there a life after death is there any evidence and i found some resources back then i suppose this was like the um early 2000s late 90s that were popular at the time they're still very popular like neardeath.com as well as victor zamet's book which is a lawyer presents the case for the afterlife yes and i think it was those two resources that kind of shifted my perspective enough to begin taking it seriously and then I found myself just constantly researching these different ideas and phenomena and you know parapsychology and all these topics you know just in my spare time as a teenager and this carried over into my 20s when I began to take it even more seriously and uh, begin interacting on forums and talking to people and meeting people who have had supernatural experiences as as well as you know paying more attention to people in my own family who have had supernatural experiences. And this developed into the, the prospect of eventually writing a book as well as having my own experiences. Wow. And this, and this was almost a turning point as well when I began astral projecting. And once I found myself uh, literally, literally entering into the astral world, that was a big game changer. And of course, I talk about it a lot in my book as well when I began um, having these excursions into what is literally the afterlife. And this opened up a lot of new perspectives and ideas. And as that began happening, I finally had all the material I needed to flesh out a book which would be a rational and literal understanding of what the afterlife is like perhaps less on the spiritual awakening philosophy angle and more on the practical level of what exactly happens to us when we die what types of places do we go to and one of my i suppose favorite subjects is what are we made out of what is our physical existence like in the afterlife and these are all big topics that i often discuss with readers as well as in my uh writing wow can you, we go back a little bit uh this might be somebody's first show and they're like what the heck is astral projecting but before we find out what that is uh, maybe just some of the different modalities that you studied that you came to believe there's there's an afterlife so the different subjects of yeah or maybe uh, if you had a weird experience or you know like you know, I know for me, I, I went to a mediumship workshop thinking this can't be, this can't be true. And suddenly I'm accurately telling people, the deceased people around them. And I thought, 
that opened the door for me. All right, yeah. Well, you know, I, I can go way back to growing up. My parents are a bit esoteric, and I don't think that they were ever able to fully flesh out what they they thought of as an afterlife, but they had many experiences with supernatural occurrences that left an, a lasting impact on me. I remember one in particular was there was like this orb of light that my parents saw. And I was a little kid. I remember them like standing by the back door and they were freaking out about something. I didn't know what it was. And I found out later, and that they would continue to talk about this uh, for, for many years, that there was like this golf ball-sized orb of light that was like bouncing around and like telepathically communicating to them and all this crazy stuff. And, you know, I mean, I didn't fully believe all the things my parents said, and I, I, was, I was skeptical of it. But, it, you know, that story left a lasting impact that maybe some of the stuff is possible. And I didn't have too many of my own experiences for a long time. Uh, when I was in college, there was like a poltergeist experience when some cabinets in my living room was begin slamming by themselves, and I found that to be very eye opening. Uh, yeah. It still wasn't par <laughs> wasn't paradigm changing. Right. I would say that despite all my interest in the afterlife, like I didn't get the really meaty experiences until my late twenties when I began having the uh, astral projection experiences because suddenly things changed and uh, I mentioned maybe some people don't know what what that is yes. but uh, I sh I'm sure most people know what a near-death experience is yes and some people think that well the only way that you can access the afterlife is if you flatline but that's not necessarily correct many people uh, over I'm sure thousands of years but as well as in, mo in the modern age train themselves to enter all states of consciousness without using any substances, no DMT or ayahuasca, just just mm -hmm. you know, just 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 through their own skill. And they can appear or have an out-of-body experience or appear in the astral world. And um, for me it began as out-of-body experiences. And it is, you know, this element is the same as you read about with near-death experiences when people say, oh, I'm floating above my body and I see people doing this, that. You can enter that state yourself. And I began doing that a few years ago. And I would be lying on my bed and I would move my astral limb up and out of my physical limb. And I would look at it and it would be translucent, but it would feel just as physical. And I'd be like, wow, is this really happening? And I spent, you know, many mornings, many occasions where I would find myself in that state and I would just be tripping on it and uh, experimenting and making fists and, you know, waving my arm around and um, just trying to understand what the experience was, how it was happening. And that continued and then eventually it began to change into uh, experiences where I was leaving my like leaving my bedroom or like being able to move out of, you know, being just stuck in a place and go into other environments. Mm. And is I'm this, still not sure. I'm sorry. Oh no. Is this happening um, in the morning? You know, when you're in that before wake up, totally wake up mode or at night or any time of the it, day. It tends to happen if I take a midday nap. Okay. It tends not to happen if I am sleeping through the night, but if I'm taking a nap, like, you have to reach this certain point when your body is asleep, but your mind is awake, and you're not dreaming. So you have to have all these conditions intact, wow. and then you can kind of you can kind of like 
um, you can kind of break through and find that sweet spot where your uh, ethereal body is able to disconnect because when we sleep, it's kind of like that's a gateway. Like our body's asleep, our brain is turned off, but our, our astral counterpart is still active. But it's very difficult for most people to like find that state and to be able to hold on to it long enough to have an experience. And that's where it takes a level of practice, I suppose. Sure. But it oftentimes happens when it's the midday and you feel oftentimes some telltale signs. And many, many people report the same thing, which is kind of an ener energetic feeling. Like you feel like this kind of energy that like almost begins like around your spine and travels across your entire body. And to me, if I feel that, I know that my astral body is disconnecting. And I'll feel that maybe only for a, a moment. And then immediately after that, I'll find myself able to move my astral uh, limbs around up and out of my physical limbs. And uh, in addition to that, like the astral projection experience where you are outside of your bedroom, outside of your body, like in a whole new environment. I still think some of these are perhaps guided by some power or some guide or, you know, some spiritual force. I don't know, because I haven't been able to figure out, like, why I end up in certain places. But it may begin where I am just in my bed or moving my limbs around, and then it'll kind of morph into a new experience, and I'll find myself in an astral state, like a, a, an environment, you know, with sometimes people who are in what we call the afterlife. And from that state, I've been able to communicate with people who have crossed over and I've been able to talk to them and they've been able to tell me about their world and they've been able to, you know, give me very detailed descriptions of what their lives are like. And that has become a bastion of knowledge for me to be able to, you know, communicate some of this back to people who read my books. But I am by no means like an astral projection expert. There are people who do this far more proficiently than I do, such as Jürgen Zebra, who is, I think, one of the great out-of-body practitioners of all time. And uh, his name is actually J-U-R-G-E-N-Z-I-E-W-E. -E -E, and he wrote Multidimensional Man, uh, Vistas of Infinity. And these books are excellent ways to really get hands-on knowledge about what the afterlife is like. And I've only been able to just have you know, a, a small percentage of what these real uh, masters have been able to um, do and accomplish. But even just that small I've had the opportunity to be able to speak to people who have crossed over and learn exactly, like from the lion's mouth, like what their world is like. And to me, that's very beneficial, especially in the aspect of helping people's grief. Because many people come to me with questions about like what's the afterlife like and and you know I, I don't mean to sound dismissive in any way but we must understand that there is an abundant afterlife descriptions that are at best nebulous as an example some may say the afterlife consists of feelings of bliss and a divine light right. or being non-physical and flying through the air but these descriptions don't illustrate what our lives are actually like in the afterlife and the concerns that many people have and the questions I am commonly asked are, will I be able to hug my wife or husband again? 
or will I be able to have a physical body so I can take a hike in nature? Or will I have hands so I can play music again? Mm-hmm. And in my community on Facebook, which is now about a thousand people, I've entertained so many concerns people have like this. And I've so had people come to me worried because they'll say, you know, I read in a book that I won't be able to do these things. I won't have a physical organism, I won't be able to hug or play or do music or dance. So I'm here to say that now, if you hear descriptions like this, it, it's not true. In, in my personal experience you know, of going to these astral states, uh, the first thing I like to tell people is that it's shockingly physical. I've had to quite literally deprogram myself from the idea that the afterlife is a non-solid, non-physical existence where we all just exist as thoughts or energy. Uh, this used to be my belief, and as I explored not only astral projection but direct communication with spirits and a, a great deal of spiritualist literature, I came to find that this is not true and that the afterlife is actually it's a parallel civilization. And there are differences from this world. Laws of physics work differently, and the mind takes precedent over the body and, and physicality. But if you first land there, you might not know you're dead because you're still in a body. You might be wearing your favorite clothes and looking around like, what's going on? Where am I? And slowly it will begin to click You know where you are and what's happened, and you know people will come to greet you and help you. But you know, there's a lot of misconceptions about the afterlife. And that's also a big theme of my book as well. And I think that's something that resonates with people because people may not necessarily buy into or like the idea that we become uh, formless globs of energy after we die, which is what a lot of books and teachers say. But in my experience, that's not true. Sorry, I'm talking a lot. I'll, I'll, I'll hand the mic back. No, to you. I'm I'm engaged. I want to know, you know, what what's it like? And can we hug? And I'm excited to know that... Um, we have physical bodies. I think these are questions that a lot of people have, as you know, because you've been answering them. But um, yeah, tell us more. I, I'm all for you taking over here and sharing because um, I I know what happens when we love a guest and we get some information. You know, there'll there'll be will be people that will certainly follow up and get your book. But uh, give us some ideas if you could, Cyrus, of what it's like because we all have loved ones that are there. And um, yeah, anything you could tell us. Well, um, you know, during and after I wrote my book, I've had, the, you know, as I mentioned before, the pleasure of being in direct contact with the afterlife. <laughs> Not consistently, but I've had, you know, a handful of experiences that were, you know, very literal, as millions of others have as well. And um, there was a, definitely a shift that happened in particular just this last summer when my mom passed away. And, you know, while this was enormously difficult at first, my mom became extremely talented at communicating with me. And likewise, I became proficient at astral projecting and visiting where she lives. And this has provided me a great deal of new insight about my favorite subject. So, wow. you know, wow, I'm excited wow, especially wow. to pass on, like, more information to people that I've been able to learn. And, you know, this is um, maybe a good opportunity just to kind of summarize some of those experiences. Yes. Because I know, you know, so many people have lost loved ones and they listen to the show or they, they want answers about, like, what it's like. And oftentimes, you know, people get sent on a loop or they become confused. And I don't speak for all experience because the afterlife is extremely varied. 
Okay, so when you hear when you uh, hear about near death experiences, like some of the popular ones, like Anita Morjani or Eben Alexander, like these very like non physical heavenly kind of enlightened states, they exist as well. And I, I don't want to say that those realms don't exist, but many of us end up in a place that I like to call the second Earth, because it's a realm that is geographically the same size as the planet we're on right now and it has essentially a counterpart of every major city that exists here so there's an astral los angeles an astral tucson where i'm originally from um every major landmark or uh geographic location exists on that side as well, kind of like you know somebody hit copy and paste and put it put it over there. Mm-hmm. But of course, each location is also quite different because these are parallel civilizations. So, if you if if I were to switch to the astral version of Los Angeles, um, the streets wouldn't be the same. There wouldn't be the same buildings. It would be a different civilization, but there would be a city there basically. And I think this happens naturally because people die and they want to be in a familiar environment. Yes. And so over time, they begin building counterparts to their own lives. So they had a house in Los Angeles. You know, they somebody crosses over and they want that house to still be there. And many other people feel the same way. They want their communities, they want their neighborhoods. So like over time, slowly like everything that's here basically gets built over there and this also includes nature and other landmarks and just um you know basically the whole world as as it's set up here and of course you know there are many differences as well but in general i came i've come to find that many people who cross over kind of enter into the state and it's very common for people to carry on their lives in a, in a surprisingly similar way as before they died. And to me, you know, people have different conceptions of paradise, but I think to me, uh, the idea of living a life on earth, but you don't have to worry about disease and you don't have to worry about economics or having to work, even if you don't want to, because you have to make ends meet and you can still explore and travel and meet people and have fun and, you know, still lead a normal life. To me, that sounds pretty darn good. Mm -hmm. You know, I know a lot of people say like, oh, I want to like, you know, go off to some you know, level of enlightenment or a non-physical world or explore the heavenly realms and like things that are like beyond our imagination. That's cool. I think some people have an affinity to that. But for me personally, and a lot of other people, we like the idea of just going to, you know, a really, you know, perfected version of this world. And fortunately, that is where most people end up. Now, to shift gears and go back to my experiences with my mom, so a lot of times people have versions of their favorite dwelling place in the astral. And I noticed that a lot of people, when they dream, they always have a reoccurring dream that they're back in the family farm or they're you know, back in the old house or some yes. old apartment they used to live in. And people think, well, it must be in my subconscious. Well, really, they're getting little, little impressions of of an actual astral home that exists as a replica to their favorite place. And I don't know why these places like 
appear in the astral. I think it's related to like our subconscious minds creating them, or it could be some higher power facilitates it for us so that we have a nice familiar place to go to. But oftentimes these places are literal places and we get little glimpses of them. So I began astral projecting a lot and finding myself in the old family house on the ranch. And it was just this small manufactured home. You know, it's not that impressive, but I suppose it has nice uh, memorabilia. And I find myself in this replica a lot, noticing that I'm like leading like a dual life here. Like I'll open the closet and I'll find my clothes. I'll find notes I've taken places. Like I'm spending time here, but I'm not remembering it after I wake up. But through astral projection, I'm able to like close that gap and, and experience it. So... You know, so for a while I was exploring like this replica astral home, you know, and um, after my mom died, I almost immediately had an, an experience where I'm back there and I found my mom and she didn't know where she was. Or rather, she knew that she was back in the old house, but she didn't know how she got there. And she didn't know that she had died. Wow. And she thought that she was uh, dismissed from the hospital. And she... You know, she felt like she had some kind of like a memory blank. She didn't know why she was back in the old family house. And so I would sit down and talk to her about just like anything, you know. Mm -hmm. And she'd complain. She said, how come the TV doesn't work? I want to watch Showtime. Like, it seems <laughs> a little out of place here. I don't know, you know, what's going on. And, you know, so I had a couple nights in a row where I'm back there talking to her. And I'm like, well, I need to like tell her you know what's going on because like i knew all about the afterlife like you know even even growing up with her but she was always very closed off to some of those ideas she was a bit more religious and she had a sense of it but she didn't really um care to like delve into it you know she was still of the paradigm like ooh, ghosts spooky stuff like that you know so she didn't really you know have a full understanding so I would attempt to breach the topic with her. I'd say, you know, Mom, um, I have to tell you that you didn't actually make it out of the hospital. And I would attempt to say this to her, but then suddenly something would happen where she'd fall unconscious, and then my experience would end. And what I came to find, what, what I think was happening is she had a guide or some higher power that was like, hey, we can't tell her this stuff yet because she's not going to handle it very well. <laughs> and, you know, she, she's not ready yet, you know, to, to learn what happened, that, that, that she died. So I eventually had more experiences. And then I, I came back and had, had, had another experience where I found myself in kind of like a hospital. And I walked into this hospital and I found my mom in a in like a sectioned off room and there was a nurse. And so I came in to talk and basically I, I was it was explained to me that yeah she's here for you know psychological rehabilitation. Um, you know she's having a t really tough time transitioning and coping with the fact that she died. So we found her, we took her here, and she's going to stay here for a while until she, we feel that she's healthy enough that she can you know leave. And, you know, and make a new life for herself on this side. Mm -hmm. So that was the next experience. And then after that, um, I continued to have some brief experiences in that environment. And I was able to begin talking to my mom, who became aware that, that she had died at that point. 
and um, she was really flabbergasted, just trying to comprehend how all that could be could be possible. And she began, you know, telling me lots of little details about, like, you know, what her life was like. And um, she would say that, you know, in on my side, they're trying to teach me how I can use like um, new sensory abilities that we have here that you don't have there. And it's actually funny because she uh, pointed to a box of club crackers. I don't know how to know how she got them in her room, <laughs> but she, but she said like as an example, like they're showing me how just by looking at that box of club crackers, I can tell you how many crackers are inside the box and what each one tastes like. I can sense all that just by looking at it because I'm using clairvoyance, which is like a natural sensory mechanism that they have there that we don't have here. So you have um, a greatly improved mental ability that, that, that we can't necessarily experience or even comprehend that well on this side. But for them, it's very natural, and I've, I've experienced it to a, to a lesser degree. But this is one of the things my mom was very excited about when she mm -hmm. was showing me you know, sure. things that she was able, able to do. But my mom was also in a, kind of like a very poor psychological state, and when she died, she wasn't in a very good psychological state at all. And uh, this had carried over. And eventually I had a chance to have a, a reading with uh, the medium, Suzanne Wilson, who is very talented. Yeah, she's been on this show. Yep. All oh, right, yeah. And I had a very memorable reading with her because immediately not only was my mom coming through, but it was uh, her nurse, the one who I'd met in those uh, astral projection experiences that, that nobody else knew about, right? Wow. <laughs> so Cyrus. it's like, say, oh, like, oh, somebody like, you know, maybe this medium like saw my Facebook posts and mm -hmm. like pieced all this together, but no, nobody else knew I was having those experiences. Nobody else knew that I had met a nurse who was taking care of her. So, so I, so I'm, uh, I, I having a reading with Suzanne Wilson. She said, well, your mom is in a uh, rehabilitation facility that they, they call the, the halls of healing. And uh, there, there's a nurse looking after her. That's so incredible. The, oh, my gosh. And, and so she describes what the nurse looks like, which is also what I know what she looks like. She says her name is Mrs. Connor. Wow, Cyrus. And so so she tells me how um, Mrs. Connor um, is you know looking after my mom because she has a psychological issue. And this is something that only I knew about as well as my brothers and people who were around my mom before she, she passed, mm -hmm. which is that – she and I don't, it, you know, it, it was alarming to all of us because we thought maybe it was like onset dementia, but it's like she reverted to acting like a little girl, and this was something that that scared many of us because we didn't know what, what was happening, why she was acting like that. But like half the time, she'd be okay, but then she'd start acting like um, like a child, you know, like like a small child, and um, it was very very strange. And then suddenly, you know, she tragically died. And so when I'd been visiting her astrally, I noticed that my mom was still doing this. Like I'd be visiting her normally, and then all of a sudden she'd begin acting like a little girl and it's really like little girl type things. And so then Suzanne Wilson told me that, you know, Miss Cotter wants to say that her uh, consciousness became fractured and that half of her consciousness reverted to that of a little girl. And that what they were doing at this... Uh, healing facility is that they were attempting to put her back together again and they said it was very difficult and but they felt optimistic you know eventually she would get better but it, you know but they, they were um having to really work on it and you know 
why this happened. I mean, it could have been because of an abusive relationship with my father. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, that, that was the state that, that she was in. So again, Suzanne Wilson was able to confirm that, that nobody else knew that this, you know, anything about that. So that's just obviously at that point, I knew immediately that I was in contact with them. And um, that further reinforced what I already knew, which of course, that all this was real. So, so um, over time, though, my mom seems to have gotten better. She hasn't acted like a little girl anymore when I've talked to her. And she was trained in this facility how to contact people on this side, uh, in particular me, as well as my father. And you know, I kind of wish she wasn't in such direct contact with my father, but um, she chooses to, to do so. And if it helps her, then, you know, it helps her. But she's been able to... Uh, materialized into my room uh, three times since she's you know passed on now. Wow! And this was this was after um, this first kind of trial when she, when when she was in the hospital and she may still be in the hospital. I don't know, but I, I believe she said she was taught how to do this by you know her teachers at that facility. And so I would you know kind of be in a sleep paralysis, half awake state, and I'd hear her call my name very distinctly. Then I, I would see her on the corner of my eye, and she'd crawl up onto the bed, and then lie down next to me and talk to me. And oftentimes in the same day or a day after, then she would do the same thing to my father. And then he'd call me and say, "Hey, you know, I was visited by by your mom." And I would say, "Oh yeah, I was also yesterday." And uh, so she, she's, she's able to like lie next to me, touch me, talk to me. And I think this happens kind of in a pseudo astral state. And we have to keep in mind, you know, because, because the astral state is perfectly, completely physical, just, just like our world is, mm-hmm. you can be in the astral state and not be aware that you are. You can be lying on your bed in your astral body and, you know, be able to, you know, hold things, touch people, talk to people, and you, you may not even realize it. So I suppose if somebody had like a camera set up like on my on my bed, they wouldn't see like my mom's ghost appear materialize and lie down next to me. Right. But like but if you uh, shift over to the um, other wavelength, so to speak, then that's where she was like the immediate wavelength that, that just follows this universe. Some people call it the uh, near Earth astral because it's um, very closely aligned to our dimension. And brave, you know, brave spirits will travel into that kind of murky world to be able to interact with us very closely. And uh, that's what she was able to do. And so that was great also. So really, I guess to summarize all the stuff I'm rambling about is, since my mom died, I've been able to have direct communication with the afterlife in a way that I hadn't had previously, which I don't want to talk about in my book because all this is relatively new. Um, but there will be a follow-up book where I will be going into more of this. But um, but really, it's it's allowed a, a whole new uh, perspective. And it's been, even though it was really tragic with my mom dying, it's also been a blessing. I've really had some great insight. Yeah, I, I get it. With my dad's death, all of this occurred for me. I you know wrote the book, I did my investigations, have the show now, and so many other things. So um, it can be a gift. But what you're speaking brings up a question and it's uh you have in your book a lot of myths about the afterlife and a lot of people think just once somebody crosses over they become um all-knowing all-powerful uh they are uh if they're mean people they're suddenly good people can you dispel that myth or what you know about that 
Well, I'm so happy you bring up the the myth chapter in my book because I was actually going to hijack the interview and bring it up myself. And be like, <laughs> all right, well, this brings me to the myths of my, you know. Yep. Um, I'm right on it. I'm right in your book right now, looking at that. So. So um, I have, let's see, uh, 10 myths as mm-hmm. well as uh, other misconceptions I talk about in, in the last couple chapters of the book. And uh, one of them relates to what me and some of the friends in my group um, lovingly call mixed spirituality, which is the idea that, well, you know, you don't have to do any growth or work or, you know, discover anything for yourself because as soon as you die, you immediately become an all-knowing, all-powerful, supreme spiritual entity for all eternity and you know you don't have to worry about doing anything on earth because you transform as soon as you die and this is a huge misconception and the misconception arises because i think for some people this happens and there is that concept of like the old soul like somebody is incarnated who has a connection to the very high heavenly or as uh, frederick myers called the causal planes and they have access to that kind of you know high level existence and then they cross over and then they go back to how they were but this isn't everybody in fact that's probably like a small minority of of people who are alive today who have afterlife experiences like that most of us we don't change when we die and when you think about it, it makes sense because that's why we have issues with hauntings and poltergeists and things like that. Because if somebody's in a really bad state of mind, if somebody's just a nasty person, sadly, they're still going to be that way when they die. And they're going to be taking all those habits with them. And they're going to be essentially astral voyeurs going to people's homes and like you know trying to mess with people or cause havoc. But, you know, fortunately, not everybody is, you know, like um, mischievous like that. Most people, you know, we die and kind of like my mom, they may not know what happened. They may not know where they are. They're just trying to make sense of everything. Mm -hmm. And there's many, you know, many people who exist on on the other side whose job is solely to help out new arrivals and help them become adjusted to what will ultimately be a uh, superior form of existence compared to, you know, living in the on this clunky planet but people cross over right away and they don't know those things so so yeah so we call some of this mixed spirituality and i think that this misconception causes a lot of damage to people attempting to learn about the afterlife and sometimes it's promoted in new age books and popular media that this is what happens but no now that's one myth you know i have a bunch bunch more myths to talk about as well yeah well we can because another thing is um reincarnation i mean that's a, a a big one you know do we reincarnate do we come back yeah um and that's i mean that's a that's one of the most complicated subjects uh i have a buddy of mine who's a physical medium and if any listeners are curious um i i highly suggest to google or research physical mediumship because unlike mental mediumship it's when a physical a physical medium has the ability to manifest phenomenon into the room so that's even included materializing deceased people to be able to walk around, talk to people, conduct interviews. It's really phenomenal stuff. So I have a friend who's actually kind of like an amateur physical medium, and he described reincarnation to me once that it happens kind of like multidimensionally so that you can exist on the astral leading your life. And then like a little piece, like a fragment of yourself can reincarnate and you can almost exist in two places at once. And then 
once that uh, second life like finishes and then dies and then you'll kind of merge back with your existing life already so it tends to happen kind of multi-dimensionally like that so a lot of people you know maybe reincarnate without even realizing or rather without you realizing they are because you know you'll see them like in the afterlife or whatnot or some people have a life here and they'll have a second life there it's it's it's, it's sometimes very difficult to understand because it's not like a linear thing like like people think it's not like you know they reincarnate they disappear there then they reappear here it's it's a lot more complicated and multi-dimensional than that but in addition to that though uh, not everybody reincarnates this doesn't happen to everybody most people cross over and they just want to lead their new life and you know it's not for maybe a long time by uh, our conception of time anyway that they may decide to come back to have a new earth life and they usually have a very good reason to do so like they feel like the only way they can progress and learn the lessons they have to learn is if they go into a new body and maybe get a new identity but um, I guess to go back to myths, if you read from like a new age book that says, and then, you know, you're, you're forced to reincarnate or the higher powers will eventually make you reincarnate after mm-hmm. you've spent X amount of time in the astral planet. It, it's all nonsense. It's all bunk. It doesn't work like that. And, you know, not, I mean, you, it, it is possible that maybe you may get mixed up in like, um, a religious group in the afterlife who thinks that, and then you know they may impose those ideas on you, and it may happen like that as a result. But you always have free will; you always have choice. So no one's making anybody reincarnate. Hmm. What do What do you think? Um, do you think there's more learning to be done, and all that? And also on the flip side, are there things that we can only learn here on Earth? Yeah, I think um, there are things which ultimately are lessons that we must learn on this side. And it relates to the difficulty that we endure here. Because in the astral, there isn't this immediate need uh, uh, for sustainability. Now, don't get me wrong, in the astral, you can still eat, you can have a job, you can do things, and on the outside, it looks just like everything that we do here. Yeah. But you don't, you know, you don't have the pressure of thinking, well, okay, I have to work, I have to eat because my physical body is going to die, or, you know, your loved one's getting sick. Uh, on Earth, you are faced with enormous challenges which you cannot experience necessarily in a, in a d- different type of environment. Um, that being said, you know, because uh, the astral, at least in this, in this kind of second Earth version of the astral, is very similar to this world that a lot of lessons that we learn here we can learn there you know you can still work a job that's difficult i mean heck i had an astral projection trip once where i met somebody who was a bartender you know (laughs) and i was i I was in a bar and I, i met this young man and he told me his story he told me how he died and um he said that he's like a big fan of mma sports right and so the bar was kind of like this place for people who are mma enthusiasts and because you can kind of beat each other up and not have to deal with like long-term disabilities as a result because your astral body will just quickly heal there's lots of people like fighting and brawling each other and having like a great time doing it because that's what they're into and um so that gives you an idea i guess of just like the um types of things you can do over there and you can still learn maybe some of the lessons that we learn here whatever those lessons may be because it's still a similar enough environment 
but some of those really tough situations that you know we experience here probably you cannot experience those anywhere else and frankly you know once you experience them here i think most people have had enough of that anyway but um (laughs) i heard somebody um i'd written a book i was reading say it's like learning the language french but never having an opportunity to practice it. And so coming to Earth, it's like you've learned the language, but this is a place, it's like you're going to the country of France. Now you can speak it and use it. True right, or not, yeah. I like that comparison. I, I want to tell you just a quick story because it just it ties right in with what you're saying. Um, I had taken a medium course years ago, never told anybody about it. And just before my dad passed away, I felt like I had to come clean and tell him I was into all this paranormal stuff. And I got an image in my mind of a of a man and he flew a yellow airplane, yellow Piper Club Piper Club Cub, sorry, with uh, black letters. And I said, Dad, you know, I'm, I'm getting this image of this man. And I, you know, my dad's eyes just got real big and filled with tears. And um, he says, he's telling me to tell you that you were wrong, that he did get to bring his toys with him. Uh. <laughs> and Cyrus, my dad helped a lot of cancer patients and really tried to help people with their visual imagery and things. Well, this was his friend Jim, who owned a yellow Piper Cub airplane with black letters. And dad says, you know, you got to fight, uh, Jim, because you can't bring your toys with you. <laughs> nice, huh? Well... You know, I think um, this relates a lot to grief management. And uh, the reason I say that is because I talk to many people who are having, you know, very bad grief because a friend or husband or wife died. And they just, they're devastated because they read in some book somewhere that the person they knew is no longer who they are. You know, like, they're like, like my husband, he loved nothing more than um, classic cars and all these things. And... You know, I feel like now he's a formless ball of light or something, right. and he, he's not—he doesn't have any of those qualities anymore. Because there's some New Age books, won't name names or anything, but there are some that really push those ideas out. And people will then come to me and like, I read this, and it's like my my dear husband. You know, I mean, I just can't imagine him as just a, just this formless entity now, as this, this this energy being, and I can say that no, you don't have to worry about that because. You know, when you when you read those types of stories or those ideas, it's either someone's personal like near death experience that relates only to them, or it's um, not the whole picture. It's somebody has like a skewed perspective about the afterlife, or maybe they're maybe they say they're channeling information and it's not it's not the whole perspective, or maybe it's even coming out of their imaginations a little bit. When you actually talk to spirits, or you've actually been on the other side. Um, you'll see that, yeah, um, it's still a physical existence, right? I mean, I mean, I've seen people driving cars. Like, you probably don't have to drive a car. It's not, it's not like it's a requirement, but mm-hmm. heck, a lot of people do because I think people just love cars. Um, and also, maybe it's, I mean, you know, maybe not everybody learns how to like teleport themselves. Maybe there is a practicality to it as well, but it is still a physical existence. So um, it really helps people's grief I've come to find when I've been able to tell people that, hey, you know, you're, you know, whatever your husband liked in this life, you know, he still likes over there. In fact, he gets to enjoy it, you know, you know express that part of himself in a way that's going to be a lot less hindered by economics and practicality. So 
so yeah, I mean, if someone someone likes planes, it's going to be planes. Like, you know, it's it's all there. I mean, I I even had a projection experience once where um, it was this last Christmas, and I found you know I as usual like I found myself kind of like having the sensation like I was leaving my body, and I found myself like in this neighborhood, and it, it might have even been like the counterpart neighborhood to where I live in Los Angeles. And there was like an open house for Christmas. People were coming to people's houses and eating cookies and like, you know, just wow. kind of like this par- party going on, right? And I, I, I walked in, there was a couple um, sitting on a couch and they were watching TV. And so I walk up to them and I said, and I had a cookie in my, no, I had a piece of cheesecake in my hand. <laughs> and so I walk up to them and I said, um, hey, so I notice you're uh, watching TV. Well, but my name is Cyrus. I'm actually astral projecting, so I'm, I'm from Earth. And I wanted to know, like, like, why are you getting channels from Earth? And he said, well, you know, about, about half of these are movies from Earth and the other half are movies from my side. I said, oh, okay. Wow. And so, so I said, well, I'm confused about something I said because, so, like, how do you hook up a TV here? Because I assume there's no corporations in your world, so there's no cable company. And the guy looked at me and gave me this weird glance. He's like, what do you mean? Of course there's corporations here. So Funny. <laughs> so I got I got a kick out of that, but I'm, I still get surprised by these types of experiences because, like, even up until then, I'm like, yeah, well, there's no economics, there's no corporations, but funny thing is i think even that kind of stuff exists and you know the big difference though is that like no one no one has like a gun to their head where they have to work or they have to use money or any, any of this right. stuff but it's kind of like people just gravitate back to what they're familiar with i can get okay? that sure yeah and i mean like do you do we really think that donald trump is going to pass away and he's going to be some enlightened being no he's going to be running a freaking corporation <laughs> <laughs> you know it's just you know it's just the nature of um, psychology, I suppose. Wow, Cyrus, how often do you uh, do your astral projecting? Um, at the height of it, it was happening like three, four times a week. Wow! But it's it's really slowed down now. So I'm uh, maybe uh, two or three times a month. Well, so that's I don't know wh- still great. I don't know um, and I'm excited because I haven't read about that in your book. Truthfully, I haven't read the whole book, but I, I do own it. Um, but I'm excited now to hear and so I can read more. How did it impact your grief when your mom died, knowing this and being able to communicate? Um, I would say my grief was greatly uh, lessened. So. Mm-hmm. My, my my dear brothers and my, my dear brothers are not going to listen to this podcast because I don't think they have much interest in life after death and it'd be too difficult for me to explain, you know, these types of things to them. And, you know, and when most people, that's, that's most people, when most people are like that, I think it um, makes the grieving process much more difficult. And I feel really bad because I'd love to be able to tell them like, hey, I've had these amazing experiences and I've been able to, you know, meet with our mom again. But like, I just, I just, in my heart that like, if I tried to tell them that they, they wouldn't take it very well. So out of everybody, I probably grieved the the, the least amount. Right. So I, I certainly had a period of, you know, of uh, uh, of great uh, remorse, but that cleared up after like a month or two. And these days, like, I don't consider my mom to be dead. You know, I, I worry about her just as when she was alive on this planet. So, so she still causes stress in my life because, you know, I know that she's had a rough time on the other side adjusting and I think she's still having a rough time, but, um, I don't think of her as being dead. So all that grief that people normally have, it, it doesn't really affect me. Yeah. That's why I ask. I, I, I know 
that grief is a natural uh, thing that our bodies go through and mm-hmm. it's tough but there's a difference between um, somebody grieving a loss of somebody for 30 years and yes you feel the separation you feel the love that's no longer being able to hold somebody's hand or kiss them um, but to really get and believe and know that they're still around it does help grief and, and lessen the grieving time and make it a bit easier and so that's what? one of the results I've heard from many 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 listeners of the show so your story as well is so valid because anything we can do to help people well i'll, I'll say this i know we're getting close to the mm-hmm. um last minutes of the interview um when um in, in relation to my mom when i began having those experiences where she would materialize into my room i noticed that she made it a point to like touch me like on my abdomen or my you know my shoulders and then I had the reading with Suzanne Wilson, and then she said, I think this was the nurse talking, that, yeah, um, we're hoping that, that your mom was able to touch you, like in these specific spots that I was touched, because that's the thing that helps alleviate grief the most when you physically touch somebody who's passed on. Yes. So, you know, so, so it's one thing to have like a memory or an, even, even an astral projection experience or a communication, but to be able to like actually physically hold or touch or feel the person who's passed on that's probably the most healing experience a person can have and so at least in this facility that that she's in they teach people how to come to their loved ones on earth and physically touch them because that's the thing that leaves the most lasting impact and i i recommend for people listening to the show to learn how to get in touch with the astral side. So practice um, staying conscious as you fall asleep and try to get into the, the, the astral state and then set, set the intention out there because once you're able to do that um, uh, quickly or easily, then it's, very, it's much more easy for a deceased loved one to be able to then come to you in that state and be able to physically touch you, even hold you, and, and as well as talk to you. And that's probably the best thing that can happen to somebody who's grieving. Mm, and a little uh, commercial plug here for your book, because I'm on the page. It's called The Benefits of Astral Projection and How You Can Start. And you actually talk people through how to get started on this. And I really commend you for doing that. Because who doesn't All want right. that? Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to have their mind in a state where their loved ones can can come to them? You know. And I will say something because I know we're low in time, so I have, mm-hmm. I have to just kind of you know sneak this in here real sneak quick. Sneak it in. If you if if you start astral projecting, you will encounter issues where you have dream hallucinations, trying to mess up your experience. Uh, you will be able to learn like what's real and what's not, and um, if you practice and you can focus, you can snap out of those. But don't be disheartened. If you deal with some of those dream hallucinations, because they they can occur as well, and it's part of an astral projector's kind of job to transcend past those, because at all times it's like we have a we still have an active brain that in those states cr- starts creating dreams, and we have to find ways to struggle past that. And but if you have a true encounter with a deceased person in the astral state, you'll know it, and it, it'll be it won't have anything to do with a dream, and you you will know. 
So I want to let people know that as well, just because it can cause some confusion at first, and I don't want people to be disheartened thinking, oh, well, maybe it's not real, because it's real once it really happens. No, I love it. It's just opening up a new world, and there'll be a future show that will talk about physical mediumship as well, and and there's just so much to be discovered. Um, Cyrus, any closing thoughts? Or words or... Closing thoughts. Um, well, I like that you call yourself a skeptic because I'm a skeptic too, and so I approach all this information from a point of view of objectivity. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you read any books, um, any New Age books or anything that, that describes the afterlife in a way that seems dehumanizing or you get the idea that you know we lose our individualities, so that the world is completely non-physical and all these ideas, listen to your gut. Because a lot of people, they get introduced to those ideas, and they know something doesn't doesn't feel right. And, you know, listen to that, because um, the afterlife isn't, it it, it isn't like this one-size-fits-all place. And, you know, most likely, what what you want to have happen to your loved ones, the the way you imagine they'd be happy, is is how they really are. So so just stay critical, um, stay objective, and listen to what spirits actually say. And don't take anyone's word for what they say. Yeah, and you're a good testimony to going on our own personal journeys. There's a lot of people that are saying a lot of stuff, and uh, nothing's more rewarding than to have some of these experiences ourselves and know our own truth. So you're a good inspiration for that. Cyrus, one last time, how we can get in touch with you. Okay, so um, I would say check out the Facebook group Afterlife Topics. So just go on Facebook and plug Afterlife Topics. It'll come up, and I'll I'll, I'll approve their their request. You can, of course, find my book, Understanding Life After Death, on Amazon, uh, Kindle or paperback. And um, I have the website Afterlife Topics. Not too much content on there at the moment, but that will be changing. And finally, if you're interested in my non-Afterlife-related stuff, because this isn't all I do, you can see me at Cyrus kirkpatrick.com and i have some books on there like how to quit your job as well as how to make money while traveling so you can check all that out as well man you sure are an inspiration cyrus thank you for being our guest today well thank you so much you're welcome and to our listener uh thank you again this is episode 140 so we've had 140 episodes and i'm grateful that cyrus is our number 140 as always you can go to we don't die radio.com click on episode 140 and i've got the links to cyrus's book his websites and the facebook group and anything else fun that i can get from him to share and as a reminder um if you enjoy these episodes have a little courage, press share on your social media or wherever you found this, because you never know who in your life is looking for some answers. And this conversation could be the one that they're looking for. So have a little courage. Um, life is, uh, oh, it is a journey, but I know on the other side of fear, it is a whole bunch of pleasure. So in closing, this is Sandra Champlain. I've been your host on We Don't Die Radio. And I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important. So make it a great day. Thank you for listening and we'll see you soon. 